have a Bible this morning, I invite you to <clears throat> turn with me to a different book this morning than we have been talking about for the last nine months. We are going to enter into a series on <clears throat> looking and learning from the life of Joshua. Now, when you hear the word Joshua, you would say that's one of those Old Testament books about history, right? And uh, that's true. I don't know what kind of, when you hear the word history, I don't know what kinds of emotions that reels up in you. Uh, for me, I had probably some of the worst history teachers in the world. Growing up, my uh, <coughs> American history or my world history teacher would read out of the textbook and the students would sleep, and about once a week, the instructor would sleep. During the middle of his lecture, he would doze off and uh, <clears throat> maybe come back a few minutes later. My American history teacher told us after two weeks we didn't need to bring our books. We could bring records instead. Uh, started dating a girl in my class and was fired at the end of his first year. So those are my American history and world history experiences in high school. So when I hear the word history, uh, I don't get real excited. Now, maybe you're different than me, but I want to tell you uh, why you should get excited and why you should be interested in a study on the book of Joshua. And I'm going to let the scripture tell you, answer that question. Uh, a couple of verses. Romans 15, 4. You'll see it up in the wall. Listen to this. Everything that was written in the past, everything, not some things, it says everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. So whatever your, whatever your life looks like, what was written in the past was meant to teach you so you might have endurance and encouragement in what you're facing right now in your life. Here's another one, 1 Corinthians 10, 11. He's talking about the Old Testament examples in the wilderness. He says, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. So we have an opportunity to learn from other people's mistakes. I don't know about you, but I would rather learn from someone else's mistake than my own. And so the scriptures are saying, look, if you'll study this and ponder it and think about it, you can be both taught and warned by what has happened in history. So we're going to do that with the book of Joshua. You know, we want the same thing as the people of Joshua's day wanted. Now, you know, as Christians, we're here to sacrifice our lives and, and give our lives up and, and to understand that that's what life is about, but let's not be, try and be so noble as to not admit that we would like to be successful in our lives. We would like to be prosperous. We would like God to bless us and to bless our children. That's what Joshua wanted. That's what you want. That's what I would desire. That God would make us prosperous and successful and bring blessing into our lives. That's exactly what God wants to do in the lives of his people. 
Well, God came to a man by the name of Abraham. Most of you here know the story of Abraham. God just chose to bless through a group of people. And he chose Abraham. Abraham was the first Jew. And he, he came to him. And uh, if you look in Genesis 12, and <clears throat> there you will see Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3. I would just like to read that for you. Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3. This is, these are the words spoken to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you, he says, will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. All peoples of the earth. That is us. All peoples of the earth will be blessed. In chapter 15, verse 5, he takes them out at night. There were no street lights. There were nothing like we have today. The stars were amazing. He took them out. Verse, chapter 15, verse 5, it says he took them outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said, So shall your offspring be. And so what we see here in the very beginning is that we see here that these things were written so that this blessing might be passed on from generation to generation to all peoples of the earth. That is you and I. So these examples are here to teach us and to warn us. We're going to see one generation who experienced God's blessing and one generation who did not. We're going to see the kind of response that brings God's blessing in your life. We're going to see the kind of response that does not bring God's blessing in your life. And so as we as we go into the life of Joshua here, let me just again remind us of the, the big picture of, of what's going on here. God is taking his people who have been enslaved for 400 years in Egypt under Pharaoh. He is taking them and he is going to, he promises them a new land and a new life. And so he miraculously delivers them from Pharaoh, takes them through the Red Sea, right up to the land of blessing, just like he had promised. And we see that that generation missed the blessing of God. And you know why they blessed, you know why they missed it? They missed it because they didn't believe that God would deliver on his promise. They didn't believe God would deliver what he had promised. It's not that God didn't have the blessing for them. They just wouldn't take it. They wouldn't enter into the land and trust God for it. Now, there's a huge lesson there for all of us if you want to take the time to think about it. God has all kinds of blessings in store for us if we're willing, willing to receive them. Now, we see here that with the beginning of the book of Joshua, we see there's a new generation and a new opportunity. We see that they have an opportunity to experience this blessing that God has promised. And so Joshua in the story is the leader 
of this people who are going to make it into the experience of the promised land and God's blessing. So it's the story of what it took for them to enter that place God had. And I would suggest to you as we go through this, these are going to be the lessons that you and I are going to need to learn if we're going to enter into the blessing that God has for us as his people. God has a place of blessing for you, your family, your spouse, your siblings, your your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. And so Joshua is written so you can know how to pass on that legacy through your family. This morning, we're going to take a look at, we're going to look at the life of this guy, Joshua. And what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to go back and see where he first shows up in the, in, in the Bible. And then we're going to look at the experiences of his life because God is preparing all of us and any leader that God uses he prepares way before he calls him to be a leader long before that time comes and so I'd like to just take you through a little journey this morning and we're going to look at those life experiences that God brought to Joshua and some of the lessons then at the end that we can learn from that First time we hear of Joshua. First time we hear of Joshua is just a few days into the wilderness experience. Before this time, Joshua is one of, you know, a million and a half slaves in Egypt. And so they have just crossed the sea into the wilderness. They have just witnessed water coming out of the rock and the first encounter here is that of the Amalekites they were from the town of Amalek they were a nomadic people they lived out in the wilderness area where Israel was passing by and uh, they were the descendants of Esau remember Esau remember the story of uh, those two brothers and, you know, just the, uh, just the tension that was between those two brothers. And we see here that, you know, Jacob cheated Esau out of his birthright. He tricked his father into giving him the blessing. There had been hard feelings about that for generations and generations. And so this was the Amalekites' opportunity to get back and to wipe really uh, the descendants of Jacob off of the map. Here they are, preparing to fulfill their revenge. They're armed, they're familiar with the surroundings, they're, they're ready, and Israel has to face this. Now Moses is in charge, and we see that as, as we look at this story that Moses is, it almost appears that when you look at Moses, it almost appears that he's opting out of the battle because, you know, they're coming and, and Moses has been the leader here and been leading the way. He's all of a sudden, he says, um, Joshua, and he, he points to Joshua, and he said, Joshua, you're going to lead the Israelites into battle. 
Now, Moses had won a lot of victories, and if you, you notice his experience, what, what did Moses do? Well, what did he do with Pharaoh? Well, he, he said what God told him to say, and you know, he touched the Nile River with his staff, and that was about all he did. God did everything else. Uh, you know, getting across, getting away from the Egyptians and getting across the sea, what did Moses do to conquer those forces? Well, he held out his rod. And then, what did he do to conquer all of the 600 chariots in the Egyptian army? He did this. That's all he did. <clears throat> and God did the rest. We see that we needed gallons and gallons and gallons uh, of fresh water for the people. And what did Moses do? He did this. He struck the rock with his staff. So we see here that Moses' fighting experience had been somewhat minimal. And yet he had accomplished great things. And so here... He asked Joshua to, to lead them into battle. And so we see the day comes and the Amalekites come to fight Israel. Again, here's Joshua. He's not a fighter. He's been, you know, the only thing he knows is how to throw are bricks. He's worked as a slave, you know, under Pharaoh's reign for all of his life. He's never led an army. He's probably never yielded a sword. Moses calls up this guy, Joshua, and <clears throat> he says, you take the man I'm, I'm making you general. I want you to lead them into battle. And I, I wonder what was going through Joshua's mind at that point. Now remember, God is just beginning to teach him and prepare him for what's ahead, as we'll see in, in Joshua 1. He already seen the plagues came into Israel. He watched all of, all of the things that God did there. He watched the waters part. He watched the waters go back over and, and destroy the Egyptian armies. He watched water gushing out of a rock, and perhaps, perhaps when the call came, maybe this man was saying, you know, God can do anything. We, we don't hear any arguing from Joshua. Unlike Moses, uh, he was. There's, there's no hint in the text that there was any hesitation or excuses. And it's interesting. At, at first, it might seem like Moses is kind of uh, copping out here. He says, "Tell you what, uh, Joshua, you you go fight, and I'll pray." That that reminds me of the the time when my our <coughs> my, the shed at my house was on fire and. Vicky and I came walking down the hill, and there were four fire trucks and six patrol cars and an ambulance and the DNR and the FBI. This was when they had all those shed fires. Remember that? And so we're, we're walking down, and my wife turns around. She says, I, she's leaving. She's going to go up in the woods and pray, and I'm going to go down and uh, face the FBI and all these people. <clears throat> That's a little bit what I thought of when I... You know, Moses said, well, you, you fight, and I'll go pray. 
but it's interesting. And this is the scene, you know, where they're, where when Moses holds up the holds up the staff towards heaven, towards the throne of God, you know, what happens? They win. And when his arms get tired and he, and he drops down, and, and so what we begin to see is that success and victory is not dependent upon Joshua, it's dependent upon Moses. Moses was fighting, he was fighting the real battle. And just maybe, you know, the real battle is won in prayer. As we, as we go through this, you know, you, you're going to want to jot down some of these little lessons because there's going to be a lot of them. And, and I would encourage you to spend time pondering them because they're really important. Exodus 17. Let me just read it for you because <clears throat> it's really a... Uh, Exodus 17, and beginning with verse 8. It says, The Amalekites came and attacked Israel at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. And tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. You go fight them, and I'll stand on the hill with the staff. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Ur went to the top of the hill. And as long as Moses held up his hands... Israelites were winning, but whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. And when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on each side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. And so Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. And then the Lord said to Moses, write this, for, uh, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. And make sure that Joshua hears it. Interesting, isn't it? Make sure that Joshua hears what happened on the mountain today when he was out there fighting. Because I will completely blot out the memory of the Amalekites from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. And he said, Notice, he didn't say, For Joshua won a great battle. Notice what he said. Her hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord and the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. So we see here this first experience of Joshua. The second time we see him is in Exodus and chapter 24. And we see here that this is the experience on the mountain. This is the experience on the mountain. Exodus 24. This is that, <clears throat> we, we see here that when Israel got into the wilderness, that God was going to take about 14 months to bring them to the edge of the promised land. And during that time, he was going to, he's going to give them his law. He was going to establish how they should live. He was going to establish sacrificial system and worship. So he, he had some things that God was doing during this time to establish his covenant. And it's here that we see that now Joshua is called Moses' aid. He evidently has become kind of like the right-hand man to Moses. And so we see that in this chapter in 24 and verse 13, it says, Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aid, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. 
So, you know, all, all these experiences of, of Moses going up in the mountain, Joshua is with him. Sometimes we forget that. It, it's very quiet, but if you read, you'll, sometimes you won't find out, you know, Moses up on the mountain, and all of a sudden he, comes, he and Joshua come down. Well, that means Joshua was up there with him. And so we see here that Moses and Joshua go up the mountain, and they're there for six days, and then Moses goes on up, and Joshua is there waiting for him for 40 days and 40 nights. Just think of, I mean, just think about that. 40 days, 40 nights, there's no Wi-Fi, no, no books, no stores, no just rocks and sunrise and sunset and I wonder where Moses is and what's happening. Joshua waits for 40 days and 40 nights. There's something to be said about learning to wait. We see the people didn't wait. They, they, they went on and pursued, as we'll see in a moment, other gods. When Moses didn't show up, but we, we see here in Joshua a loyal, uh, faithful, and, and evidently he did a lot of waiting for Moses. He's a man who learned to wait. We go over a few chapters to Exodus 32. Joshua shows up again. This time, this time we see that Moses is receiving the Ten Commandments. And we don't know exactly what happens, but we know that Moses and Joshua went up to receive the Ten Commandments. As far as we know, he was right there with Moses during this experience. Now, we don't know exactly, you know, in, in, in one of the situations it says specifically that Joshua stayed where he was and Moses went on up. Not so with the Ten Commandments. In fact, it just says that Moses went up, he received the Ten Commandments, and then in verse 17, it says, and, and you, this is the first time you hear of Joshua, it said, Moses is coming down, and it says, when Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there must be, this is the sound of war in the camp. And so, what we find out here is that on when Moses went up and received the tablets and he's starting back down, Joshua is with him. I, I have a feeling that Joshua, more than any of the people of Israel, when he saw those Ten Commandments, he knew exactly where they came from. There was never a doubt in his mind that those commandments were from the hand of God, the finger of God, as the text tells us. And so he was a part. What an amazing experience to be a part of this giving of the Ten Commandments and to be Moses' right-hand man in that experience. The fourth mention is in chapter 33, and we see here another experience. I'm going to read this, and I want you to let this create a picture in your mind. 
Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. So you picture that in your mind here? Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of the meeting outside the camp. And then listen to this. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, imagine all these people now, they have their tents and their families, and whenever they saw Moses going out to the tent, all of the people rose, stood at the entrances of their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. And what were they looking at? As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each one at his own tent. So this would be a regular occurrence where Moses would go in and the presence of God would descend and people would just stand there and worship God, uh, realizing that his presence was there. So, you know, where is, what about Joshua? Well, listen to what it says. Then the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp But his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. In other words, Joshua was in the tent. Joshua was out at the tent with Joseph, or with Moses, whenever he went. What a powerful experience of the presence and glory of God that Joshua had. And he was going to need that because what God was going to call him to do was going to take an understanding of the power and glory and presence of God. So here's number five. Numbers chapter 13. Moving on, we're getting a little closer to Joshua. We are going to get there. Numbers chapter 13, beginning with verse 16 says, these are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. They are now at the Jordan River. They are now, this generation is getting ready to go in and experience the blessing that God had, had told them about. It says, then Moses sent them to explore Canaan. He said, go up through Negev and into the hill country. See what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? kinds of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back back some of the fruit of the land. So they went up and explored the land. And as, as we know the story, they came back and they said, wow, it's beautiful land, but there's like these massive cities and huge people and and armies and there's no way we can do this all of them except two. And you know the story, Caleb and Joshua. Joshua had seen too much. He had soon seen too many overwhelming situations and knew that God was able to do far and above all we ask or imagine. He had learned that lesson. 
And so we see here that he and only one other family out of a million people, only two men and their families over the age of 20 would ever get to go into the land and receive the blessing because they did not believe God's power to fulfill it. What a powerful lesson that was. And so for 40 years, Joshua would have to wait. And he roamed along with Caleb and Moses circled the wilderness for those 40 years in wake of what God has promised. It was here that Joshua's name was changed. His original name is Oshua. You see it up on the wall here. Oshua means he saves. And his name was changed by Moses to Jehoshua, which is, comes, is where, it's where we get the name Joshua. Instead of he saves, it's Jehovah saves. Powerful, powerful lesson that he had learned. By the way, this is where the word Yeshua, you maybe heard this. Yeshua is a variant form. It's the Greek word for Joshua, and Joshua is the same word as Jesus. So there's another whole metaphor there that at some point down the road we will look at that. So let me kind of bring things down to just some application here. Here's this young slave who God chose from the very beginning, knowing that he would be the one that would lead the people into the land. And so he teaches them. He teaches them about the power of prayer, about the importance of waiting, about the reality and the, the awesomeness of God's presence. He taught Joshua about the fickleness of people and God's anger against it. The importance of faith believing that God can do anything. And so now in Joshua 1, God comes and he's going to speak. He comes to Joshua and he says five words that had to be absolutely shocking to everybody. And these are the words, my servant Moses imagine the impact of those words? My servant, your leader for 40 years, the one that took you out of Egypt, the one that took you through the sea, the one that brought water out of the rock and manna from heaven, the man that I have spoken to, he's dead. He's gone. You'll never see him again. Your leader is gone. And people looked around and there was no other Moses there. We see here in Deuteronomy 34, God called Moses up. He went up. God showed him the land. And then it says, it says that his eyes were not dim and his strength had not weakened and he was 120 years old. And the earth opened up. Moses died on that mountain and the earth opened up. God dug his grave. And it says to this day, no one knows where that place was that God swallowed up the body of Moses. It's interesting. Moses is gone, and the text in Joshua 1, let me just read the first two verses. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, 
that's what he's called. The Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to Israelites. Yeah, it's, it's always kind of fun. It's always kind of like, okay, Moses is dead, so Joshua, you take over. It, it's very nonchalant. It, it's very, it's like this is no big deal that Moses is dead. And I think there's a reason for that. I think there's a reason for that. You see, God didn't need Moses. Moses just needed God. And God doesn't need Joshua, but Joshua needs God if this thing is ever going to happen. So it's not about the Moseses, and it's not about the Joshuas, and it's not about you, and it's not about me. It's about God. God can use anybody. And everybody is dispensable. And here Israel would learn even Moses. We see here that as great as Moses was, he was not the guy for the future. He was the guy for the past. God had a new man for the future, and his name was Joshua. God had spent his whole life preparing this man he was now ready to take the people of God into the experience, a new generation. He was ready to take him in. This is a new chapter with a new vision and with a, with a new man. Well, let me just give you some things to think about. And I'll just mention these. And you can jot them down and then we'll conclude. As I said, by the time Joshua got to the Jordan River, he'd spent 30 years being prepared, 40 years being prepared by God alongside of Moses. And, and here's some things that we can think about. One of the things that Moses, one of the lessons he learned is that God can do anything. And I'm just going to mention these, and you can jot them down there on your sheet. <clears throat> God can do anything. Anything. If, if God doesn't do something, it's he doesn't want to do it. Not that he can't do it. If he doesn't do it, there's a reason why he's not doing it. I was, we had uh, Rich Larson who works with uh, <coughs> Crossroads Ministry. We, we spoke here. Remember Rich? He was telling me when he was at Bethel, he went to play basketball, and he was playing competitively, and his knees were just hurting so bad, and he went in and had x-rays and everything to his knees, the doctor came back, he said, your right knee is about, about that of a 70-year-old, and your left knee is about that of a 50-year-old. He said, they're so loose, they're so bad. He said, you will never play competitively again. And that was quite a shock. You know, when you've grown up in that world, and Rich said, you know, that was just a shock for me. And so, <clears throat> anyway, it was a, he kind of resolved himself to stepping back, and he said, that was kind of an idol in my life that had kind of consumed me. He said uh, that was something God needed to do. Uh, a few months later, he was at a service, and they invited people up for healing. And Rich decided, he said, I just thought I'd, I'd go up. And he said this gal came up and laid her hands on me and prayed for me. And uh, he said, I didn't really think much of it. And 
he said a, a few weeks later there was a little pickup game going on, and he, he said he grabbed a basketball, and he, he, st- he said I played, and he said, man, my, he said I felt so good. And so he, he went back into the uh, doctor, and the doctor looked at him and said, oh, you're back. Uh, he said, yeah, I'd like to check my knees. And the doctor checked his knees, and he, and he, he said, I think we need, he said, I, I'd just like to take an x-ray of this. And uh, so he took x-ray, and he said, he said, he said, I can't explain this. He said, your knees are perfect. And so Rich said, you know, God had already done his work of showing him that that had become an idol in his life, and he decided no longer to play college basketball. Uh, <clears throat> but he was able to go down to the uh, some of the projects in the inner city and do pickup games with guys and play. And what I'm saying is, is that you know some of you have had knee replacements, okay? And you might have prayed for your knees. And the reason God didn't do that for you is because you didn't need that. Not that God couldn't have done that. God can do anything. And so I I, I make that point to say that when we're in a situation and we pray to God, we need to pray as if God can do anything that he wants and that he can do that. But we also pray with the understanding that God knows what's best for us. He knows the plans he has for us. And so whatever God does from that standpoint is right and it's good and we can trust in that and if if God doesn't do something that we're thinking he might do then he has a different purpose and a different will in that here's a second one prayer I'm just going to mention these you can you can uh, think about these we learned that battles are won on our knees battles are won in the prayer room the, you know, prayer shouldn't be our last resort. It really should be our first one, don't you think? But it's often our last one. Waiting. There was a lot of waiting that Joshua went through. Not just on the mount. He, he waited 40 days. Then he waited 40 years for somebody else's unfaithfulness. He had to roam with those people for 40 years, he and his family. But he, had, he was a man who learned to wait. He was a man who experienced the the wonder and the power of God's presence. That is an amazing thing to experience, the presence of God. And, you know, to, to order your life in such a way that you have time and places where you experience the presence of God is such an important part of your life and your soul and your spirit because there's just something that happens when we're in the presence of God. And then lastly, he learned the consequences of not believing God. He learned the consequences of not believing God. And he saw those generations. God forgave them, but 40 years, they never got to see the land. Uh, the man he admired so much, Moses, didn't get to see the land. Joshua learned his lessons well. 
And so when the time came for this huge step of faith to enter the land, as we're going to see as we start in next week, it, it, it appears he didn't bat an eye. He never questioned it. I think he'd seen too much. God had prepared him. And uh, we're going to learn what it takes to enter the land of blessing that God has for us. And uh, I think if we will heed these lessons, they will be powerful truths in our lives. Father, we thank you for uh, this book of Joshua. We thank you for the man. We thank you for the lessons that we can learn from his life about how you prepare your people, that you don't waste anything. Father, we desire to learn from your word. We desire to be taught by these experiences from the past that you've recorded for us. We uh, seek to be warned about the downfalls of, uh, that your people have made down through the centuries and the implications of that, not only for them, but for their children and for their children's children. And so, Father, we uh, just uh, thank you for this word to us today. And uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, your announcements are in the bulletin, and uh, there will be an offering at the door. Thank you for coming.